Hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of the Little Egypt Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Todd Hefferman. <laughs> the podcast must be getting better because the applause keeps getting louder every week. We like to we like to hear that. We hope you're enjoying the podcast. You can subscribe on iTunes or uh, wherever else podcasts are sold. Um, with me today, as always, is uh, sports writer Bucky Dent and sports editor Les Winkler. Another busy weekend for us. Uh, exciting weekend. Saluki football, Saluki basketball, prep football, all in uh, full display. Uh, big weekend for prep football. It's one of my favorite weekends, even though I will be out of town. Uh, Friday night, Saturday, and then the IHSA playoff seeds come out Saturday. Who is playing for a playoff berth that will not get there, you think, this weekend? Who is playing for a, the loser of Hamilton County and Carmi White County will definitely not get there. There are two four and four teams playing in Carmi. As Les likes to say, if you win five games in a close conference, your your odds are pretty good for getting in. So the winner's probably getting in. The loser is not. And right now, I'll be honest with you, I never would have imagined myself saying this in longest, but I like Hamilton County. They've played good defense lately. They spanked Cesar Waltonville 32-8 to on Friday to get to four wins, and they have momentum. They're on a roll. Yeah, with a close conference, you're going to come up with 45 playoff points no matter what. I mean, it's just there's there's five games a week. You're going to get five winners out of that nine weeks. That equals 45. So 40 low 40s usually get you into the playoffs. So if Hamilton County or Carmine wins, it's, I'd say, a 99% probability that they're in the playoffs. I, I was really torn on picking that game. It's it's at Carmi. Uh, you know, two two veteran coaches going at it there, and Kurt Simon and Jeff Rush, both good guys. Both mm-hmm. both have had good football teams in the past. So, uh, you know, somebody somebody's in, somebody's out. Uh, the other game of uh, of uh, just actual playoff eligibility is Heron is playing at Bree Central. Both are four and four. Uh, not sure if Heron wins that they're going to get in. Their playoff points aren't. Let's just say they're not uh, equal to uh, Black Diamond. <laughs> the Black Diamond, they're they're just not going to get that many. There there was just too many, too many uh, uh, teams with that, that having bad years on their schedule this year. So it's they they have to win to have a chance, but then it's still a roll of the dice for them. Yeah, they're going to need they're they're going to need a little help from somewhere to uh, get to the playoff points that they need to get in. To, to squeeze into the field, but still a nice comeback by Heron just to get to this point after being one and four to give themselves a chance in week nine. Yeah, the, but the, when you when you look when you look at the schedule, the, the likelihood of help is going to be tough. They're going to get yeah. it, uh, they'll get a couple wins from conference opponents, but uh, uh, Breeze Modern Day, who's uh, seven and one, is playing Waterloo. Who is who? Heron was their only victory, right? So that the, the chances of getting a, chances of getting a win there are are fairly slim. Um, Massac County is playing Salem, which is a playoff team. A playoff team, so that's pretty slim. And Carterville's playing Mascuda. Yeah. So the the chances of them getting a lot of points this week are it's it's pretty tough for them. And the other game they could get a point out of from a defeated opponent is Harrisburg and I hate to say it but I don't think Harrisburg is a prayer at Carbondale. And I'm true. not saying that to be glib or mean or anything. It's just an 0 7 team is playing a 7 and 1 team coming off a 56.563 yard outing against Marion. Yeah, so you know the 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 playoff points it's going to be it's going to be tough sledding for Aaron. Is it possible that Carbondale and Marion get a home game? Very likely at this point. They're both 7-1. and one. They're both playing teams they ought to beat on Friday. Marion closes at home with Mattoon, which is having a losing season and won't be in the playoffs. And 
we just discussed Carbondale playing Owen Seven Harrisburg a moment before. So they're both they're both probably going to wind up bait and one. They're both going to be at home for the first round, and conceivably with the right results, they could each be at home for a second round. And who knows, they could play each other in the second round. That's what I, my next question was going to yeah, be. Yeah, they could the, play each other in the second round. And looking at the IHSA ratings right now and possible projections, another potential first-round matchup you could see of area teams would be West Frankfurt to, at Benton if Benton wins this week against AJ. And... West Frankfurt, even if it loses at Nashville, is in the playoffs with six wins. Oh, wait, one other team we forgot that's less playing for playoff eligibility is Cesar Villier. They're that's four, right. They're four and four, but they're playing Vienna Goreville, who's also winless at this point. So, you know, the the odds are, the odds are pretty good that Cesar Villier will win and be in. Now, when when you look at home playoff games. It's going to be a veritable cornucopia, I think, of home games yes. that first week because. Uh, Can you say that again? Uh, veritable or cornucopia? Both. <laughs> I think I just did. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, uh, I mean, well, you know, we already mentioned. A veritable you know, cornucopia. <laughs> there we go. John Facenda just came in just to say that. I thought it was. Try- I thought it was doing Cosell there. Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. Facenda All right. Too. Well, John Facenda. I'm not sure I could defect my voice enough to do Facenda, but. <laughs> Uh, Ducoin will be at home. Carbondale will be at home. Uh, Marion will be at home. There's a very strong possibility Nashville will be at home. Benton should be at home. Benton should be at home. There's even uh, uh, I wouldn't bet against uh, Murfreesboro being at home if they beat Ducoin. If they beat Ducoin this week, I'm going to go out on a limb and say Murfreesboro will play the first round game at home. So Fairfield will obviously be at home. Um, so there be if for the casual fan who wants to go out and and find a game that they find intriguing, it won't take much. It won't take much travel to do that. No, pretty much wherever you are in the area, yeah. you should be able to find a pretty decent first round game to watch somewhere. And to me, the five A games are kind of intriguing only because you're going to wind up playing somebody like Marion did last year. First round, a team from Lake Forest near Chicago came down here to play. To me, those are always intriguing games because you like to, like to see different styles of football. From a different region like that, and well, just I'm curious some, to see who Fairfield will get. Yeah, that's Fairfield is intriguing to me this year because their their defense has allowed actually I think they've allowed 17 points, yeah. but they've allowed only six points in in real game situations. The other 11 points have come in in, in uh, mop up situations late in the game when the managers and water boys were on the field and and. Uh, mm. uh, I think Carmi broke. I think Carmi scored. Uh, Carmi scored six in the first nothing. possession of the game. Actually, added the two and went up eight nothing. And apparently, that was pretty much like spitting into the wind. Fairfield <laughs> scored the next forty from there. So, um, so just just to see, and you know, Fair, Fairfield is outstanding athletes. Uh, a lot of the same names that you read about on their football exploits were very good uh, member, very solid members of their track team last year. So, athletically, they're there. We'll we'll just see if the rest of it falls into. Uh, Falls in line in the playoffs. And they won a game last year in the playoffs, which was a big deal up there. They've, their playoff record under Justin Townsend, I think, is 2-13. and 13, And that's not to throw off on Townsend because he's done an outstanding job there. There's no question. He's got the elite program in the diamond. But at the same time, even he admits it too, all that we're, we're happy, we're not satisfied, we want to do more. You know, talking with a couple of his players this year, they want to do more than win one playoff game. They want to win multiple playoff games. And you know, I think it's I think it's in the the diamond is probably the most stratified conference that we have here in terms of haves and have nots. 
the, the top teams in the diamond are, are very good. But some, some of the lower level teams, you know, and, and in the past it's been pretty much uh, four pretty good teams and five not just, – just bad teams, let's, yeah. be, let's, let's be honest. And so week in, week out, you aren't getting that quality of competition that you need to get sharper, get better all the time. And I think that I, – I don't think that's, that's the entire reason the, the Diamond hasn't been successful in the postseason. But I think it's a serious contributing factor. Well, this year, though, I will say this much. The Diamond has one team that's head and shoulders over everyone else, one that's just plain struggling to score points, let alone win games, and the other eight teams, you can just mix up, throw in a blender, and you don't know what you're going to get from week to week. Chester's turned out to be the second-best team out of that group, but – even they've had uh, games where they've had to work really hard. I mean, they, they, I think they barely beat, I want to say they barely beat Edwards County. And, you know, they've had a couple of close games themselves. But everyone else, you just don't know what's going to happen from week to week. El Dorado's game against Edwards County Saturday, a prime example. They're down 20-6 to six in the fourth quarter. Come back and win 21-20, get their fifth win, and knock Edwards County out of the playoffs. And for a long stretch of that game, Edwards County looked like it would be a good potentially dangerous team in a first-round game against a higher seed because their line just controlled the, the, the scrimmage in their line of scrimmage for most of three quarters. And they're a 118. Yeah. So. Well, playoff, playoff uh, they usually announce the field in the afternoon on Saturday and then the actual pairings uh, later at night. So uh, go to the southern.com for the latest information about the IHSA playoff pairings. And... Uh, Saluki football uh, going to South Dakota again. Uh, this way we're going uh, a little bit west instead of a little bit north of Sioux Falls uh, to the Dakota Dome to play University of South Dakota. This is the first of four games in a row for the Salukis against unranked teams. Um, they're playing possibly one of the best quarterbacks in the league, but uh, they've gotten after the quarterback pretty well the last couple weeks. That's one big, one constant of their defense as they have, have got, really gotten to the quarterback pretty well. Yeah, Saturday their their front seven I thought I thought was very good. They uh, didn't allow. I, I think uh, Youngstown had like they had less than fifty yards total rushing. I know for the yeah. game. I think it was thirty thirty four on thirty carries. Yeah, so it's so they, they did a good job there. Nine sacks. Uh, whoever the Youngstown uh, uh, rotated quarterbacks, two different guys. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Both of them became intimately familiar with the defensive linemen. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, really, Saturday, you have to get kind of picky to really find a lot of mistakes the Salukis made. There were, I know a couple times, uh, cornerbacks had their back to the ball. They were, they were right there on the receivers, but had the back to the ball. They had no idea where the ball was that was coming. Uh, there was one shanked punt, a um, couple penalties. But other than that, the, the Salukis played uh, the, the most sound game that I've seen in a while. One thing I noticed out of that, you know, listening to that game, besides the fact that uh, there was a lot of carping about the replay reviews taking forever in a day, was that pretty much every time you heard they're back to pass, if they didn't get off the pass, it was, I mean, it, it was either a sack or a rush <clears> throw, it seemed like. And the other thing, too, SIU, when it wins a game this year, it doesn't fool around. They win by big <laughs> margins. Rotted UMass, pulled away from UT Martin, and just kind of stomped on Youngstown State. So it's in there for this team to win. I mean, you've seen that already. It's just as Todd was pointing out the other day, it's time to go get some wins against unranked teams that they should have a pretty good chance of at least competing with, if not beating. You string together some wins here get some momentum going for down the stretch. Who knows, maybe you're going into that last game against North Dakota State with something to really play for. 
Now the and all, you know offensively the only the only and again uh, you know you're getting really picky here. They put 35 points on the board. Um, they didn't really sustain any drives. They scored on big plays. Um, the uh, you know the the long touchdown pass that uh, uh, Javon Williams threw to a, a wide open wide open Jacob Garrett. I think either one of the three of us could have carried that ball in had we caught it. Yeah. Um, the the long touchdown pass Landon Lenore, which was a perfectly thrown ball by Corey Lyles. Um, and then the um, uh, long pass and catch by Javon Williams. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I, but again, I mean, you're, you're, you're splitting hairs there. So they, they put 35 points on the board by, by being explosive and making big plays, and there, there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, you're right. They were only 2 of 16, I think, on third down, so they've got to be a little bit better there. But they didn't need to be because they were, they were good when it mattered, uh, which they were not at Arkansas State. They, they had – they didn't have necessarily have a lot of trips to the red zone, but they didn't need them. They had uh, they had big plays. They scored two touchdowns on a fourth down. They they shut out uh, Youngstown pretty much the second half, and were able to run the ball. And with those three running backs, I think it makes them a lot difficult to defend. When you got Javon on one side and TJ on the other, you got to defend those two receivers. You got to defend Javon for running and passing. And you got to defend Davis running the ball and then receiving the ball as well. Well, I think I think it was very important that uh, they, that Javon Williams threw that touchdown pass because you know when when he sits back there in the Wildcat, there's a you know ninety percent probability that he's going to uh, run the ball and to show that pass. I think that's very important to keep defenses honest because that'll keep them from stacking the box. Yeah, the South Dakota's strength of their defense is in the front front four, the front seven. Um, their secondary is is pretty young. Their their offensive line is pretty young too. That's why I think they they have to get they have to get home if they're going to get to the quarterback. They can't just pressure him and let him get out of the pocket. They got to get him down and get the play over with before he can make a play with his feet or with his arm because he's an excellent thrower on the run, uh, which he showed against Northern Iowa last week. And uh, this and this really has nothing to the, to do with the game much, but to just kind of piggyback on what Bucky said later about the uh, replay reviews. Mike Reese and his crew, I think, actually put a stopwatch to it. Yeah. And the third, the, the three the three reviews took 13 minutes. He was beyond exasperated but, on the but air. Isn't it, I mean, but isn't it important that they get it right? I mean, what's the hurry? It's important they get it right. You're, you're, you already have 30 minutes of commercial time built in, 13 minutes of – if I'm a fan, do you notice? Do you notice how many people stay for the second half of games? I mean, even even at even at Ole Miss last year, the place emptied out considerably. People come people come to tailgate two or three hours before the game, which is their own fault. But the games can't last three and a half hours, especially in hot weather and in inclement weather. The 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 review is some of these reviews are ridiculous. I'm sorry, and if if it, if they can't figure out if if they should have a three minute time limit or a two minute time limit, and if you can't come to a decision in that time, play on the field stands. This bowl, let's play the game. The other and thing, you know what? That's the human element of the game. Did SIU drop passes? Yeah, they did. Did they miss blocks? Yeah. Did you know? Did so the human element is there. It's going to be there. You're never going to get it all perfect. It's just, it's just really boring. And if I'm, if it's raining and sleeting, I don't want to sit out there and watch guys with a headphone on. For heaven's sakes. The other thing you do here, you mess with the flow of the game. Right. You know, and that's the, you know, if you're going to have 13 minutes of replay reviews, you can count on the game basically having no flow whatsoever. And that's something I think you probably need to think about. Maybe a two-minute time limit 
if he can't figure out in two minutes what's going on, just scotch it. And here's the other thing, too, Mike Reese was pointing out Saturday. At these games, you have maybe four camera angles. At a uh, FBS game, say if you're in uh, Oxford or you're in Champaign and by the way, what about the Illinois upset of Wisconsin Saturday? <laughs> Lovey probably kept his job for another year with that one. But if you're in Champaign, you're in uh, Ann Arbor or whatever, you got maybe 16 or 17 cameras. You can reverse a play a lot easier and with a lot more justification with that and a lot quicker than you can with however few cameras you have in an FCS game. I agree. I, I agree that it, you know, you, you're in the FCS, you're already clamoring for eyes and you're clamoring for attention, but... If you're reviewing targeting, which is is an ejection of a player and a 15-yard penalty, and you want to get it right, and, and the replay official's job is to get it right, if it takes three minutes, tough. Tough luck. You want to get it right. And, and I agree, if they, there are four camera angles, it's not very many, but you have to get that call right. And I think that I don't have any problem waiting wherever, however long it takes I may be in the minority, but I think you got to get it right if you're going to do it. Well, if it keeps getting much longer, you'll be the only one in the stadium worried about it. Because <laughs> maybe I mean, my, my 4 o'clock game, or when it's 7.30, you say yeah, 7 o'clock, maybe I'll be bitching about the, the replays a little bit more. And for the fifth time the next yeah. up in South well, but, it's, but it's important to get thing, that call right. The thing about the targeting call was that there was no call on the field. Yeah. There was no call on the field. The, uh, the uh, Youngstown State bench asked for a review of it. Because which, there which they're entitled there, to there do, was no though. flag on the field well, or, got, or the re, or the replay official can ask for a review if, as if well you, if you've got six or seven guys running around <laughs> out there with with flags ready to throw them and nobody sees it chances are there's not going to be a, that much get by them I'm, I'm 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 just i'm just done with the reviews i'm just tired of it well, we'll we'll be happy to review the the SIU men's basketball game from last night. Uh, Where's my but, flag? Where's my headphones? <laughs> it was uh, it was a, it was an offensively challenged game with the new three point line. Um, SIU that had been I thought it had been shooting from it pretty well. I think they will have good shooters throughout the year, but they uh, they struggled. They were two of twelve. They hit one in the first half, I think, and that was yeah. by the freshman uh, Marcus Damask, who was really good. Um, the SIU's you know new players were were pretty good last night. I, I'd say the freshmen were pretty good. Um, I, I think Barrett Benson can play a little bit better, but I thought Ronnie Suggs played good defense. I thought Gooch played really good defense, which is what they're going to need. I, I was encouraged. That's not a now they're playing a Division two team, but they're also playing a Division two team with a six ten center that had uh, Division one experience. They had their Player of the Year in the conference. I thought it was okay. I, I wasn't. I didn't walk away thinking, "Oh my God, we're not going to win eight games this year." What <laughs> well, did you I, walk away I, thinking when I, you were going to your car? I, I, I was thinking number, number one that it was the remarkably well played defense for the first time that these guys played together as a group. I'm talking, you know, team defense. I thought individually, I, I thought everyone everyone did a really good job of squaring up with their men. Uh, a couple times when people got beat, the rotation was was very quick and just didn't let the, didn't let the um, didn't let the penetration get any further. Uh, I can remember two easy baskets that Minnesota State scored, but but that's about it. Uh, and the the freshmen, uh, the, the two the two most impressive people for me last night were uh, Marcus Damask and Lance Jones. And the, the main thing about the freshmen that I took away is they looked very comfortable on the floor. They didn't look overwhelmed. They didn't look like the game was too fast for them. 
I, uh, particularly, uh, I, I thought maybe Jones pressed a little bit the first half, but the second half he looked very comfortable out there. And uh, the mask is that kind of guy who who he got by on uh, more savvy than 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 just raw talent. Uh, kind of reminded me of a, a more aggressive Matt Shaw, uh, just in terms of the way he went about uh, went about scoring. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't a lot of one on one moves. wasn't a lot of uh, stuff in space. It was kind of the the gritty stuff underneath. And uh, he did have, he did show a nice touch on his uh, three pointer and just absolutely drained the two free throws too. You know, just kind of following you guys on Twitter, it seemed like they really kind of struggled with uh, with very much everything across the board offensively, but were very good on the defensive end of the court. And with this many inexperienced players, you're going to have to be really good defensively if you're going to have a chance to get off to a good start. And that, to me, bodes pretty well for that crew. Yeah, it reminded me a lot of, I mean, a lot of what Loyola does. I mean, they, they really dictated the tempo, I thought, well, they – you know, Brian Mullins didn't didn't sit down through the whole game. He sat through the whole time. He even put his hands in his pockets a couple times, which I thought was kind of funny. Um, so he looked relaxed, at least. Looked relaxed and de- was, you know, you saw him directing traffic. But I, I thought they were really good defensively, even with all the stuff he's been trying to teach them that they did not look good when I saw practice last week. They looked really good last night. The uh, the, the one concern I had was uh, def- uh, the rebounding um uh, I thought Aaron Cook and Eric McGill, the two guards, were the most physical rebounders. Those are the two that really went after it, really got after it on the boards, and they're your guards. So uh, I think you know we're, we're again we're talking we're talking watching one game, an exhibition game, yeah. and so that that's something I will be keeping my eye on. Those just um, a better physicality from the front line. You're going to need to have that at some point, especially you're playing three games in three days down in Florida in a couple of weeks at the exempt tournament down there. And then you play a pretty decent uh, West Coast Conference team in San Francisco on November 16th. You're going to have to have some guys that get the hard hat on and get out and rebound. Right. You're going to have to rebound at some point. And that's where it gets back to uh, how much can you get out of the big guy, uh, Barrett Benson. I mean, it sounded like he missed a couple of chippies last night. Maybe got things going a little bit in the second half, but he's a guy that could be, if not a game changer for them, at least someone that can give them a threat inside and allow them to to compete against some of these teams in the glass a little bit better. Yeah, there were uh, several rebounds last night where people would would tip it up and, and keep it alive, and then they would get it. But I like one of my favorite expressions to myself during a game is when somebody pulls down a really physical rebound with someone hanging all over him as that ball was rebounded. Yeah. And the only time I thought that last night was on a couple by Eric McGill and a couple by Aaron Cook. Yeah, that's something they're going to have to get better at. Uh, they will. The effort was good, I thought, last night at both ends. Um, they, they're going to have to move the ball a little bit better on offense. Uh, a lot of times it stood, stayed to one side and really struggled to find a good shot. But they, they'll, they'll figure it out. They're, they're playing a close scrimmage this weekend against Miami of Ohio and former Saluki assistant uh, Jack Owens squad, who has a couple of starters back but uh, doesn't have a ton of seniors. So, you know, they'll get what they get out of that, and then they're going to play a Division three school at home before going to that tournament in, in Florida. The, the, other, the other thing noteworthy, I think, was uh, I, I like Brendan Gooch's play last night. Uh, they, he, that I was their did. best lineup. I, I, yeah, I, with I agree. Him, with him as the five, basically, and, and the four guards around him, that's when they went on that 10-0 run. He played really well 
And he had a couple. I don't know how many rebounds he had, but I thought he caused some turnovers and made it difficult. Oh, he. Had, I mean, he had a couple steals. He was giving up. He was giving up a couple inches to the to the big kid, and they he fronted him. And uh, when they tried to lob over his head, he went up and got it, and and had a couple rebounds and a couple blocks. So, uh, yeah, if they can if they can get that kind of uh, if they can get plus contributions out of uh, Brendan Gooch, it'll it'll be a big deal for him. The uh, the women's basketball team for SIU will play uh, an inter squad scrimmage uh, next. Friday, I believe, or I'm sorry, next Saturday, November 1st. Um, that'll be at the uh, Banterra Center. Um, they don't. Uh, and, and they that's don't play. hard to say after 50 years of staying at <laughs> SIU Arena. It is hard to say ban- our type Banterra Center. Yeah, I had to really work on that during the volleyball matches yeah. I covered there last month, making sure Banterra Center. Yeah. Banterra Center. <laughs> Yeah, the volleyball team's fighting for a berth there. Speaking of SIU volleyball, got a nice win in five sets, of course, which is their specialty. And uh, but <laughs> when I'm there, it's going to go five sets. <laughs> but only the top six teams in the valley make the valley tournament. I believe that's the only sport they do that in, and uh, they're going to have to fight to the end to get there. But they're still in the running, you know, here ha- almost toward the end of the season. Here, Ed, El- Ed Allen after the after the match was just talking about their effort, and, and their effort is there. They they go at it hard. They have some uh, th- they have some physical limitations. Uh, they played Missouri State the other night. Missouri State was. Clearly, the the quicker team, um, but uh, you know, it's, it's kind of like uh, they always seem to have somebody different step up every game that I've I've watched. You know, a couple games it's been Rachel McGuire. The other night it was Hannah Becker. They and Hannah Becker was hot, and they just they just rode her. You know, as far as she would take them, and she came up with the big plays down the stretch. Uh, SIU fell behind four to four to nothing in the in the last set, which for people who aren't volleyball fans, the first four sets go to the first one to 25, and the fifth set is only goes to 15, and when you fall behind four to nothing, that's fairly significant. And at one point, she had three kills in a row, and then at the end when it was 14-13, and they absolutely needed a point right now, that's who they went to, and, and Becker came through. So they're young. Um, they make some mistakes, but, uh, you know, there, there's some – there's room for growth, and uh, you know he's there. And as as uh, Ed said after the game, after the match, he said they're they're a much better team now than they were two months ago, and you can see it. And the other thing is too, when you go from what was it? They had six wins last year, I think. Six, yeah. They're in double figures already. Was still half the conference season basically remaining. They've moved the chains a fairly significant amount in, the, in his first year, and you would have to imagine as he gets more of his kinds of players in there. They're going to have a chance to be better and better with more quickness and more power. You know, this this to me has already been a good debut season for Ed. I agree, I agree, and and they really hurt themselves on you know, just things that are eminently uh, fixable. I, I think they had twelve service errors the other night. Uh, one point they were down, one point in one set they were down seven to five, and three of the opposing points came on service errors. So you clean that up, and then. Uh, a couple of uh, whiffed, uh, <laughs> whiffs on quick sets. Yeah, and that's something Ed talked about early in the season after one of the tournament matches at the Banterra Center was he encourages his players to go for it on serves. You know, I guess maybe in a situation to where you don't feel like you have all the talent you need yet just to kind of play it straight up and rely on your defense and your hitting ability like a top program might, maybe you go for a little bit extra on your serve you get a few extra points that way, but you also run the risk of service right. errors. Well, uh, we'll see how they do this weekend. Uh, they are back at home uh, this weekend. The Saluki volleyball team uh, 
Saluki football out of town and uh, be a couple days before we see the basketball team in person. But uh, thanks for joining us here today at the Little Egypt Sports Podcast. You can subscribe to our podcast uh, at Apple iTunes uh, or you can see it at thesouthern.com. To subscribe to the Southern Illinoisan, call 618-529-5454. Thanks for joining us.